This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. All right, next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? Jeff Legend Garmeyer, and I grew up in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, right on. Hey, you know, first first thing I kind of want to get into is uh, just to kind of let everybody know, because the first time I heard about you, I was actually up uh, doing the redoing the, the monument at the, the border uh, how was it that was that last year and somebody says oh legends here I, I mean i guess i'd heard of you before that uh he just just walked by like the day before and uh i was like legend i still didn't really know too much about you and can you clear up how you got your name because i think now that everybody sees your sort of resume of hiking they kind of think that uh, you got your name because of your accomplishments i definitely like to clear it up because it is pretty unrelated to anything with hiking accomplishments. So we were camped outside of Wrightwood at the visitor center there after a day in town. And for some reason, uh, this group I was hiking with in 2011, we all forgot to pack out like pizza and beer and steak, all the town (laughs) things you're supposed to pack out for the first night on the trail. And I was 20 years old and still trying to fit into the group. So I told them all that I'd go back to town and bring out pizza and steak for everybody and so I put on my Crocs since I was carrying Crocs at the time and hiked back to Inspiration Point and hitchhiked back into Wrightwood and came back an hour later with pizza and steak for everyone and they thought that the act was legendary and then they called me legend. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it was uh it was a really good time out there. It's like uh I don't know, 12 hikers or so, and all just camped, had a big fire, and that's kind of the, the nostalgia you get from a first through hike. So everything from that 2011 trip just seems like it went perfect, when in actuality, I'm sure it was a lot harder than I remember. Uh, uh, the reflection is probably better than, than the actual hike. What I noticed one thing about that first through hike you were talking about, um, that you started with an external frame, is that true? Five pounds ex- external frame pack I was carrying way too much stuff and about between walker pass and kennedy meadows the frame of the pack actually broke because i had loaded too much weight onto it (laughs) (laughs) oh that's crazy well so did you end up uh sort of getting into um more ultralight backpacking on that first hike then say ultralight but kind of how the progression went is that frame snapped going into kennedy meadows and the full a piece of the frame had literally just snapped in half. So it was obvious I was carrying too much. So some people helped me and gave me a shakedown in Kennedy Meadows. And there was this real old backpack, more like a sack with straps on it in the hiker box. And it had like a dangling hip belt and some of the shoulder straps were peeling off, but I used floss and I sewed that up and used that as my pack through the Sierra for um, about 200 miles to Mammoth Lakes. And then some hikers I had met who got off trail sent me one of their old packs and I hiked with that all the way to Canada from there. And I also used that pack they gave me for, it was a granite gear pack for the um, Pacific Northwest trail in 2014. And then 
and this was still not light. I'm sure it was hovering around 40 pounds, but after the Pacific Northwest trail, that's when I kind of figured out I didn't need all these extra things that I'd been led to believe that I might need to carry. Yeah. Oh man, that that's probably a big change then for your next hike. Um, the Pacific Northwest trail, um, and the, and the Pacific Crest trail, I live in, in Washington as well. You said you, you grew up in Vancouver and, um, I, I work right along the Pacific Northwest trail and, um, it's fun to see those hikers and stuff. So I, I kind of have a little, uh, I don't know. I love that trail just for that one thing, even though it's probably one of the worst sections for them as they're road walking, I'm sitting there honking at them or something, you know? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that trail as well. And I did it from West to East, which is kind of backwards than most hikers, but the trail, you get pretty much everything you could get on a through hike in the Pacific Northwest trail and being about half the length of the more major trails, it's, pretty cool to go from, you know, hiking and camping on the beach. I hiked a couple of days without shoes on and then you're in the Olympic mountains and then you kind of get a little bit of everything as you cross Washington and then Idaho is incredible and Glacier National Park. I was really impressed. I didn't know too much about it when I started that trail, but I really did enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so were you still living in Vancouver at that time? Because that seems logical why you would pick that trail. Jess, so my first thru-hike, the Pacific Crest Trail, was in the middle of college. I took spring term off and finished it by the time I had to go back for fall term. And then after I finished college, instead of going right to work, I hiked that summer, and so I did the Pacific Northwest Trail. And then when I finished that, I moved to Denver. So I was still living here for those couple months, and then I moved away. Right on. Yeah, um, looking at your uh, resume of hiking, um, if anybody hasn't checked you out on social media, um, definitely send, hopefully send some people over there to check that out. Um, how do you go? I mean, where, where does your mind start just kind of turning? Um, you know, I mean, you're basically going from the PCT to the PNT and then, and then just you really explode as far as what kind of accomplishments you've done. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you thought about, like, what, I don't know, I guess a lot of people would dream about doing this stuff and you're actually doing it the whole mindset thing was like, so on a through heck, you have a lot of time to think. And I think my mind immediately goes to what I could accomplish or what kind of goals are possible. And so during the Pacific Crest Trail, that's when I kind of thought and also learned about the whole triple crown hikers. And I thought that would be pretty cool one day to be a triple crowner, but I wasn't sure that I could do three summers of it. So I thought, you know, I wonder if I could do all three trails in one year. And so that uh, thought was there. I definitely wasn't ready for that then. And then as I, I moved to Denver after the PNT, and then I, I, I climbed all the Colorado 14ers. So I climbed 58 14ers in 11 weeks. And I kind of realized that maybe my body could do more and was getting, getting a little more ready for kind of a big, a big, uh, I don't know, experience or adventure. And then some work things happened and the company I was working for split apart. So it just seemed like a perfect opportunity to go on like an eight month adventure. So I uh, decided to go on or attempt the calendar year triple crown with like a month and a half of planning and just kind of figured it out as I went. So I think the whole goal thing, like I probably have, I don't know, 50 more goals than I thought of on that PCT hike first in 2011 because <laughs> I was just introduced to the scene. 
and it's always cool to fantasize about what you can do in the future. So everything kind of started there. And then as I got more into it and learned how to do everything, kind of figured out what I really wanted, what was realistic. And, and then I just went for it as far as the calendar year triple crown. That was uh, one of those things that I wanted to do. Then it became more of a plan and then just showed up in Georgia and realized how little I knew about what I was doing, (laughs) made it work the whole time and, and survived it. It was a, it was crazy in the Smokies, so that's like week two. It snowed and the temperature dropped to negative 15 degrees. Oh, and man. I was really wondering what I got myself into. Wow. Oh, that's, yeah, that's that's crazy, man. I, well, and then, so was that the lowest point as far as weather? Uh, I mean, that's a very low point on a trail. Did it get any worse? That was probably the one moment... Well, everything bad seemed to happen on the Appalachian Trail, but that and the Kennebec River crossing, which I had to swim across the Kennebec River with ice on both sides of it, that was probably the closest I've ever been to dying out in the woods. So, And then I, I got pretty demoralized through the Mahusik Notch since there was three feet of snow. So those three moments on the Appalachian Trail were probably the closest I was to quitting. But that trail was just brutal. It was from... I hiked it from um, early February to late April, and there was nobody out there. A lot of the resupply locations and stores were closed and seasonal. And one ski resort I went through, they were still skiing at it. So it was, wow. I don't know, it was a pretty ambitious plan. <laughs> I bet you a lot of the people you ran into were probably like, you know, who the heck are you? There's definitely a lot of doubt. At one of the huts in New Hampshire, the caretaker was literally like, what are you doing up here? You shouldn't even be through hiking this time of year. <laughs> when I said I was going north, <laughs> when I said I was going north, he was like, wow, you've already made it through this far. And it earned me a free cup of coffee. So I was kind of grateful of that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, uh, was the next trail you did then the uh, great, 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 oh, the great Western loop. So then I, after the county year triple crown, I worked for about, a year and a half and then I took off in April of 2018 and hiked yeah the Great Western Loop so in that loop it basically goes it follows the Pacific Crest Trail turns right onto the Pacific Northwest Trail takes another right onto the Continental Divide Trail takes a right onto the Grand Enchantment Trail and then a let's see right a right onto the Arizona Trail and then you turn left once you get to the Grand Canyon and make your own cross country route down to connect back to the PCT. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember hearing about that trail and I, after you started it and I was following you on that, um, I was just, I'm trying to figure out, you know, maybe you, yeah, maybe you could answer this and maybe you couldn't, but, um, which one do you feel like is more challenging or do you feel best about accomplishing parts of the great, great Western loop or, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, between the calendar year, Triple Crown, and the Great Western Loop, because those are just huge tasks to take on. Good question. I So I really enjoyed the Great Western Loop because it was a little different than the calendar year, Triple Crown, in that it was one major 7,000-mile through hike. The calendar year, Triple Crown still feels to me like it was three successive through hikes in a year because you jump – I mean, you fly between trails, even though I did each one from – 
start to finish without jumping back and forth between them. It still just felt like they were three totally different experiences. And the Great Western Loop, kind of what drew me to that is, you know, hikers finish a through hike and, you know, you kind of wish it was longer. And the Great Western Loop was like the biggest conceivable through hike I could think of where you don't have to get on off trail. You're literally hiking a loop <laughs> that's 7,000 miles. So I think that one in my mind is my favorite just in that my feet kind of carried me through everything. There was no transportation necessary or anything between trails. I mean, there was just to get to town, hitchhiking to town to resupply, but just to jump between trails and stuff, it felt like it was one complete experience. Wow. That's, that's so impressive. Uh, I mean, as the listeners are checking in and if they haven't really followed you too much up to this point, I hope they do. And, um, they could probably understand why I asked you at the start about your name because when, you, when you're talking about these hikes, I mean, they, they are legendary as well. It's pretty conceited. I'm not a big fan of it anymore, but it's kind of stuck. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, well, and then I don't want to skip over a couple things. Um, like, so during your great, great, why can't I say that? During your great Western Loop hike, uh, is it true that you also did the Nolan's 14? Um, living in Colorado and doing the 58 14ers in 2015, I've always, I'd always thought about doing Nolan's 14, which is essentially, it's a string of 14, 14,000 foot peaks and the route is mostly cross country and off trail and scrambling. And it's about a hundred miles long. And I'd always thought about doing it. And I was camped outside of Leadville on the great Western loop. And I was thinking like, well, I'm in good shape and I'm right here. It's not going to take too much extra to try this. And so I, I took all my through hiking gear and, and then went ahead and completed Nolan's 14 and 15, 59 hours and 30 minutes or so. It was, it was pretty crazy. It's probably, it's up there with the hardest things I've ever done, but also probably the proudest I am of, you know, just deciding 12 hours before starting it that I was going to do it and somehow being successful. Wow. Yeah. And then, and the fact that, that you're out there already, um, for who knows how long before you even started that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just kind of spur of the moment thing, thought about doing it and went into Leadville. I had already had a GPS route just to, to do, you know, it's kind of one of those goals I set back in the day, like, I'll be prepared for it if I ever have a chance. And then I just downloaded it onto my phone and then the next morning took off and gave it an attempt and it somehow was successful. It was, it was pretty unique in just that you follow a trail for some of it, but most of the time you'll be walking down a trail and then you just turn left into like a giant scree field and climb 2000 feet up to the summit of wow. a 14 and scramble down the other side, follow a trail for a couple miles and then, bushwhack up to another peak again and that's kind of how the whole route is set up and it's it was a pretty awesome challenge yeah man is it something like that that uh that made you start thinking about doing fkts i think so i'd always thought about seeing how fast i could do something because up until that point had been more of just seeing how long i could do something and if i could fit it into a weather window and never really thinking about how it was as far as speed or compared to other people but i think the natural progression after doing the great western loop at seven thousand miles was to pick something a little shorter and see how fast i could do it 
So um, how many, well, I kind of want to go back a little bit then, because I mean, with these huge hikes you're doing, um, back-to-back years, um, I think it was back-to-back years, did you, how many miles were you putting in at like a top point or, or an average? Uh, one was in 2016 and the other was in 2018 because I had to work a year in between just oh, to gotcha. save enough money. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I averaged about a little over 30 miles a day on the county or triple crown. And that, so that includes the Appalachian Trail, which was, I don't know, probably 40% snow covered. So that, that was quite a bit slower, but I would say, you know, there were periods where I'd average 40 miles a day through a section. And, uh, so, and then on the great Western loop, it was 208 days and I averaged 33 miles a day for 208 days in a row. <laughs> wow. Pushing, pushing, man. What, uh, so, so then on the FKTs, um, let's see, you did the Arizona trail first. And, um, I think that I thought, was that your first FKT? First one I went for before the uh, Great Western Loop. I actually did this route across Zion during a holiday weekend. I had a few days off, and I wanted to see if my body was ready to do um, an effort like the Great Western Loop. So I went to Zion and did this route where you cross Zion and back. So it's the Trans Zion Traverse, and I did it twice essentially. And so um, I didn't really know about FKTs much then, but that turned into out to be an FKT time as well. So the Arizona trail was my first intentional FKT, I guess. Right on. Well, I want to talk about your, you made it really fun for people to, to watch your FKT. I, I've seen some other people do some posts and things from the trail, but honestly, your uh, Instagram posts that I was following were very impressive. And, um, it's kind of funny because it's not a video, it's not uh, audio, so it's really hard to get a grasp of really where you were mentally, but you did did a great job of putting it into words. Um, how hard is that to do? Shannon, I reached out to some people, one one of the gals, Shannon Leader, she was wanting to know, like, how do you do that um, as far as posting from, from the middle of nowhere like that all, uh, consistently? <laughs> That's a good question, too. Uh, so I really like writing, which it's kind of a lost art actually, I guess it seems like the video thing has taken over. And I also on that FKT, well, in most of my hikes, I like to kind of tell it how it actually is versus how Instagram's kind of set up where you show the greatest moment of the day and everyone thinks that your life is amazing. So I tried <laughs> to include, a, <laughs> include a little bit of everything, whether it was like on your Pine, Arizona, where I had to super glue my feet closed because the cuts were growing so big and things like that. But I think what I would do is throughout the day, I'd, you know, jot down a couple bullet points or something. And then right before I went to bed, I'd just type out something real quick about the day and post it when there was service or something the next day. Just, I think it was kind of cool to for me to relive the moment and, you know, you're moving fast on an FKT. So it's nice to internalize and remember everything that happened one more time and have a distinct separation between the days as opposed to everything blurring together. And it's also fun to tell people that, you know, it's 50 miles a day, but it's really hard. Like your, your feet are breaking, you're mentally spent. 
I think one day I wrote about how I sat down on a log to eat and I fell asleep and I only woke up when my hat fell off or something. So <laughs> I think just those little moments capture like what the true essence of it is, as opposed to here's me on a peak, look how cool this is, where that's like 1% of your day. The other 99% is quite a bit different than that picture. Yeah. Well, does that, uh, she also kind of goes on with another good question. Um, does that get tiring, um, posting and, and almost kind of feeling like you need to do that? Or like you said, is it more for you? More for me. I've always kept on every one of my hikes, I've kept like a daily blog or a daily journal. And on the PCT in 2011, I think the most people that ever read it in one day was like 22. So it's mostly my family and stuff. And I just have always done that to have a memory of it and uh, separate out and just relive the moments of each day. So it's really for me. And then as I've gotten a few more followers, I guess it's turned into people enjoy it too. But to be honest, it's not so bad in the, in nature because it feels like it's something to reflect on and do throughout the day where I really hate posting and keeping up on social media is in the real world. So I usually take, take quite a bit of time off and don't pay too much attention to that since I think it really impedes on being present and in the real world that we live in. Yeah, I like that, man. That's good. Um, so when you reflect on these uh, FKTs, I mean, man, it, it's so easy for me as an interviewer to ask you to like try to combine them. I guess we don't have to do that, but I mean, they're so uh, such a big deal in their own right. Um, what you know? Were you? Because I've read um, and interviewed Anish, and she talks a lot about um, like point in times where she's hallucinating or just you know things. You know, the trail is kind of starting to win at times. Almost it feels. Did you guys? Did you uh, experience anything like that? I experienced some hallucination at the end of the Arizona trail. There was, after I crossed the Grand Canyon, there was about, I don't know, 70 or 80 miles left. And it was, there was snow for about 40 miles of it. And I basically had to walk through the night just to cross all that snow. And that's when I had my first true hallucination experiences out on any trail. I didn't have any on Nolan's 14. And so like the trees and the shadows were turning into figures and cabins and i thought i saw like a witch in the shape of a tree at one point wow. so that was the introduction of, and that was in retrospect that was pretty mild because on the long trail which finished about a month ago the first three days i i did okay but i was struggling and a little bit behind where i wanted to be so on day four i hiked completely through the night and um <laughs> the next morning I was having some real hallucinations and just to describe how it felt walking, I'm walking on, it was raining too. And I'm walking on this leaf covered ground and it felt like I was on a pogo stick. Like my vision was jumping up and down and oh, man. as I would look over, change my eyesight and look at the leaves or something. I would see like at one point I saw that ground was covered in children's toys, like, like figurines and stuff. Uh, it was, my mind was, it was so strange because I knew I was hallucinating, but I also knew that that's what my eyes were seeing. So it was like this internal battle to remain sane and tell myself that it was, it was completely normal. But on these FKTs, it's kind of, it's strange because it's like a different version of me out there where it's, there's only one, especially on the long trail, since it was unsupported. Once I left the 
the Canadian border and started that, it was like there was only one goal on my mind and I didn't have really anything else I was too worried about. So it was just this sole focus that I rarely have any other time in my life. And it just made, you know, working towards one continual thing for six days, such, such a driving factor in terms of getting it done, whether hallucinating, sleep deprived or, or injuries along the way. Yeah. Oh man. No kidding. What, what, so when you're doing that, you're totally unsupported and I would assume, well, maybe I'm just assuming wrong, but was there any kind of drop that you had to pick up? Drop or anything? Or uh, I'm sorry, was there a, a food drop that you had to pick up on that? I left. I started with all the food, all the gear, everything except water that I would have for the entire 273 miles, which made the hike really, really interesting the first three days because it was just hard to set off and know that there were no micro goals or any way to segment the hike it was kind of just a 273 mile chunk that i had to finish with only what i started with it was pretty tough mentally until i kind of got over the hump and the last 100 miles is on the appalachian trail and i kind of made that the goal like if i can get there then i'll feel like i'm close enough to have a chance to finish this up until that point it was like just trying to trying to get through the miles because that trail is so brutal hmm Wow, yeah, that's 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 crazy to think about because you're wanting to travel light and eat enough, but then you have all your food for six days, so you're kind of at, at a at a crossroads with the decisions to make there, right? So I tried to do about five thousand calories a day, and my goal, because you know, the, obviously the first couple of days your pack is going to be uncomfortably heavy, <laughs> and then it's going to you're not going to have any food near the end. So kind of my goal was to eat half my food in the first third and then kind of ration out the other half over the last two thirds of the hike just to have a lighter pack and, you know, at least be hungry after, after two days and then just fight my way to the finish after that. It ended up working good, but man, the first day I just remember how heavy that pack felt, especially after coming from um, other other FKTs where it was more of a self-supported aspect and I never carried more than three days of food. Oh, well, yeah, that's a big difference. What, uh, what about the long trail itself then? What was the self-supported record and what did you finish at? Self-supported record was six days, nine hours. And I finished just under six days. So like five days, 23 hours. So yeah, it's actually interesting. I said, I thought I could break six days, so I didn't, I'm not even quite sure what the old FKT was. I just knew my goal was six days. And it's funny how the body and the mind work in that, you know, through six days and 270 miles, my sole focus was on six days. And somehow I ended up breaking six days by like 12 minutes. So it's just kind of funny how <laughs> you set your goal and do it. Like it, if I would have set it a couple hours earlier, I wonder if I would have broke that by 12 <laughs> minutes as well. It's, uh, well, it's well, just really funny to think about such an arbitrary goal and barely accomplishing it. <laughs> How is this different? Um, I when I when for, when FKTs first really started being a big deal, um, it seemed like a lot of runners started getting involved right away. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily classify yourself as that. I would I would think, or do you? Um, how how does that work in your mind? Um, and and is it kind of cool to be the hiker out there setting some of these records? definitely cool to be the hiker out there and I think 
I would classify, classify myself as a through hiker for sure. Cause I think the major difference is runners might move a little faster down the trail, but I think hikers have this really, um, good ability to be efficient and things like that. So I could set up my camp in less than 10 minutes, which is essentially just rolling out a ground sheet and a sleeping bag. If it was clear weather and pack up in less than 10 minutes where you read about guys like Scott Jerick on the Appalachian trail during his record. And he'd take a couple hours to get going in the morning. So I think that's the major difference in, in the approach of hikers versus runners. But I really do think the line is getting kind of blurred and there's, there's not as many dif- differences as ultra runners would like to believe. And I think they just say they're ultra runners because it sounds more athletic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you have a nightly routine uh, or a morning routine to kind of stretch or, or just kind of get your body going? Not at all. I usually pack up, have my breakfast in my pocket, and then I'll brush my teeth while I'm walking in the morning. So <laughs> pretty much no routine, no stretching. I I think I'm allergic to stretching or something. I never do it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's the question uh, people always like me to ask is maybe they struggle with that. And then it's like, well, find out what other people are doing, especially somebody that can accomplish as much as you are. And a lot of times too, it's kind of funny because here I am 42 years old asking you about stretching. And I think when I was your age, I was probably more on the lines of what nah, I don't stretch. So yeah, it's a, it probably a, has a little bit to do with that too. I would think. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it seems like everything's stiff for a mile or two and then it loosens up. So <laughs> just usually fight through a mile or two and usually feel good after that. Nice. Um, Rick Peterson was asking, uh, it, what what kind of I don't know maybe on the FKTs but on a regular hike or something what's in your food bag you know are you cold soaking are you cooking what what kind of food are you doing ultra long hikes so like the Great Western Loop and the Calendy or Triple Crown I would cook every night and it was probably seventy percent meals that I dehydrated before I went on my trip which was like a big pot of spaghetti and putting the dehydrator and then I'd just add boiling water to it to make a meal or like a bean or couscous concoction. So those were all like homemade pre done before the trail. And then sometimes I would just do like the through hiker ramen bomb thing where you throw a pack (laughs) of ramen and some instant mashed potatoes and a pack of tuna. But then on these FKTs, I gave up the stove because tried to get my base weight to like six pounds, which is pretty uncomfortable. So I wouldn't do that for a long trip. But I, um, on the long trail, I took eight packs of frozen burritos. So I had 24 burritos <laughs> and uh, a lot of nuts and granola bars. So I don't think I have like the perfect diet, but it seemed to work. <laughs> now, did I hear you talk about goldfish crackers? I, my favorite snacks for some reason. Um, yeah, I take a lot of those and they're really not that great as far as calories and stuff, but I guess I like the salt. So I eat a lot of those as well. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I, it's kind of a funny connection because, you know, like I said, I see a lot of people out there on the Pacific Northwest trail around my area. And it's because I deliver and stock all the stores for uh, Pepper's farm cookies and crackers. So I've got all the goldfish in my truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are the best. I would on the Arizona trail. A lot of the time I would have I didn't do burritos then, but I kind of made wraps along the way and it'd be like pepperoni, cheese, and then a sprinkling of goldfish and, and have like a whole tortilla wrap. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Are you, uh, um, after such big hikes and then FKTs, is there ever a time in your mind where you're thinking, okay, you know what? I kind of want to just go on a hike. Is there, is that ever on your mind? Um, just like go on a long hike, but not have to worry about setting a, a, a record or covering 7,000 miles, that kind of thing. Well, like shorter stuff for sure. And I usually don't even post about that on social media or do it. I really do like to do some of those things for, for myself. Um, yeah, I think if I do something, which I've kind of looked at Canada, Alaska or overseas or something, if that ever works out in the future, I'm sure that would be more of a traditional through hike. Um, so yeah, I definitely think about that and it is really important for me to just like go on a couple days trip out by Mount St. Helens or somewhere and just, just do it for me. Don't, I usually won't even take a camera or take any pictures, just kind of be present in the wilderness and not post on social media and just really enjoy it for me. And I think that's really important, especially after doing a little more publicized FKTs and stuff to just get out there and make sure that I still really enjoy it and I'm doing everything for the right reason. Cause it'd be a shame to, to lose the ability to really just get out there and enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Randy Gamar was asking about that. Like, is there ever a time where you just, uh, you know, you're out there obviously not on FKT, but and you just, uh, you know, sit back and enjoy, enjoy the view. Not, and I don't think this comes from that argument of, Oh, you're hiking too fast. You're not seeing it. Um, <laughs> which, you know, that could be a whole nother subject that people get into. But I think this is coming more from just like when you see something that you just can't help but stop and, and, and enjoy it. During some of these longer trips, I have moments of that for sure. So um, just one memorable time is like going by Mount Adams up in Washington on the uh, calendar year Triple Crown. And it was just this perfect like little snowmelt pond with the reflection of the the mountain in the background. And, you know, I just sat there for like an hour because it was so amazing. And it is kind of a give and take on those things. Like you can make a time if you have the ability to do 40 miles a day. It's like, well, these people are awesome. It's 5 p.m. I'm going to camp here and hang out with these hikers and just have a normal experience. I can make it up in a day or two or a week or two. It's not a big deal. And then one other time where it was truly like that is in southern Montana. I was hiking the Continental Divide Trail in uh, 2016, and Cottonwood Peak was over in the distance, and it looked like a pretty straight shot to get there, and then maybe a I don't know, short hour long scramble up it, but for some reason I just really wanted to climb it. So I strayed from the trail, went out there, spent half a day climbing it, really enjoyed the view at the top and then came back and resumed my hike. So I think it's those moments that really are the, the ones that you have nostalgia back, nostalgia about and look back on and really think how cool it is. Cause through hiking, is like this level of freedom you don't get in many other places. So if you don't have the ability to capture that and enjoy it, I think it, it makes it a little, a little different than, than the experience could be. I heard a rumor that you're uh, talking about writing a book. It should actually be out the end of this week. So, Oh really? Yeah. It's, I've been work. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working on it for like two years off and on. Oh wow! So what? Uh, how do you how do you have time for that? <laughs> In two years, I think. Um, so it's about the calendar year Triple Crown, and 
it's just been a process like getting the words down and writing it was the easy part and then editing it and finding people to help with editing it and all those things really really were a shock for how hard it is to write a book oh man yeah what's the title gonna be free outside oh okay so just like your uh your uh, social media handle pretty much everything these days so gonna go with that title right on that'd be great i like that title what so you're at um free outside pretty much everywhere and then also freeoutside.com every single day worth of every adventure is blogged on there and then write-ups on all the fkts if anyone is still a reader <laughs> <laughs> so did you use uh, a lot of your uh, instagram type posts then to help you write the books the book Less on Instagram, it was more about the daily blog that I would write each day. So that's what I would look back on and then kind of coincide that with maps and a data book just to get some of the places right and the timing and stuff. And that was, it was a cool experience to relive everything. And when it was initially, the first draft was written, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so long. I need to cut it down. And that's when I kind of realized how many experiences go into each through hike. Yeah, wow. And what uh so when so you said uh this week and I, I guess this podcast will be out in a couple of weeks, but what um so it'll probably be out by the time people are listening to this. What when uh where can people get it? Is it is it a self-published book? Amazon, so that'd probably be the easiest place to get it and they can feel free to contact me if they want a signed copy or something and can send one their way as well. Through uh freeoutside.com. Yeah, freeoutside my email's on there or message me on social media and can work that out if people want that. So yeah, but Amazon will be the easiest, quickest way to get it. And yeah, it should be out by the time this podcast comes out. Well, that's exciting, man. I, I love, uh, I would imagine it's pretty hard to do, like you said, <laughs> trying to write a book, but, um, I personally love books and I like to, well, not only read the books, but also to help support people that are doing something that I really, uh, that inspire me, you know? So, um, I just want to say thanks for writing that. I haven't even read it yet, but I'm excited about it. Thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, it kind of just coincides with what I enjoy. So like after every FKT, I've tried to do like a video or something, but what I really enjoy is doing a, a write up just in terms of words and writing. And I think that's a lot more enjoyable for me in a way to put it down on paper than, than the video culture. But yeah, it's, it's, a uh, it's a different way to do things. And I've learned a lot about the process. Well, right on, man. Hey, Jeff, uh, Mr. Legend. Thanks so much for coming on the Cascade Hiker podcast. Man, it was fun. All right. That's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker podcast. Also hit me up uh, with an email, Rudy at Cascade Hiker podcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at in underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong Could never be wrong, could never be wrong See her laying down in the tall grass Playing mandolin in a 